Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa zid wa barik ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam tasliman kathira. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa zid wa barik ala sayyidina Muhammad. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa zid wa barik ala sayyidina Muhammad. We left off this uh, this last verse. As uh, I mentioned, Kazahri fi tarafin, wal badri fi sharafin, wal bahri fi karamin, wal dahri fi himami, which means that he was like flowers in his delicate beauty, like the moon, like the full moon in his honor, like the sea in generosity, and like time in persistence. And so we had discussed these different qualities: uh, the beauty of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, his honor and his dignity. His generosity And also the concept of persistence And the commentator Ibn Ajiba Rahimahullah Ta'ala Mentions a lot of things in regards to generosity And so They're quite beautiful And it's not really possible to summarize them So we're just going to have to read For this little section And then I'll summarize after that Inshallah But there's one passage in particular that's quite touching. So it says that Al-Hasan and Hussein and Abdullah ibn Jafir embarked on a journey for Hajj. So Al-Hasan and Hussein and Abdullah ibn Jafir. So they're all relatives. Right? And they embarked on a journey for Hajj, but they lost their supplies and suffered hunger and thirst along the way. And then they passed by the tent of an elderly lady. And when they passed by this tent, they asked her, Is there any drink? And she said, Yes. So they got off of their camels and they got down. And as they approached, they noticed that the lady only had one sheep to the side of her tent. So they realized that she doesn't have much. And she said to them, milk it for yourselves and chew its curd. And so they did. Afterwards they asked, is there any food? So she told them to milk it. They got that. She said, they said, is there any food? She replied, at the moment I have nothing other than this sheep. So let one of you slaughter it and I'll prepare the meal. I don't have anything other than this Let me slaughter it and I'll prepare you the meal So one of them went forward and slaughtered it and skinned it And she prepared the meal They ate the meal and they remained with her for some time After which they kind of cooled off They prepared to resume their journey And when they were leaving they said to her We are a group from Quraysh Meaning we're from a powerful tribe And when we return safe and sound by Allah's will See to it that you find us and we will return this favor to you. So the lady's husband came home and she informed him what happened. And he asked her, like, you really slaughtered the only sheep that we have? I mean, this is the only thing that we have. You really slaughtered the, whole, the actual sheep for these complete strangers? You have no idea who these people are? And not long afterwards, this elderly lady and her husband, they were in dire straits. And they settled in Medina. And they were making their living selling unripe dates. So they were very poor, they were selling dates, they were trying to get by. And one day she was passing through the alleyways of Medina and she walked by Al-Hasan ibn Ali. So one of these people, she walked by Al-Hasan and he was sitting by the front door of his home. And he recognized her but she didn't recognize him. So he recognized her, she didn't recognize him. He called out, O oh, servant of Allah, don't you recognize me? She said, no. By Allah I do not recognize you. He reminded her. He said, I was your guest on such and such day. Remembering him, she cried out, May my mother and father be sacrificed for you. You're the one who came that day. 
And he said, yes. And then she, he ordered that she be given 1,000 sheep. He ordered that she be given 1,000 sheep. Then he told her, uh, he, he sent her to his brother and Hussein. So he gave her a thousand, then he told her to go to an Hussein, who was also with him that day. How many sheep did my brother give you? One thousand, she said. And so an Hussein gave her a same number of sheep, also one thousand. Then he sent her to Abdullah ibn Jafir ibn Abi Talib. And Abdullah asked her, how many sheep did an Hassan and Hussein give you? And she said, 2,000 in total. And then Abdullah said to her, if you came to me first, I would have made things difficult for them. <laughs> if you came to me first, I would have made things difficult for them. And so Abdullah went to his farm to give her sheep. And on the way, he stopped near a wall surrounding a date palm, surrounding date palm trees that belonged to some people. And there was a young uh, slave that was there working the land. And Abdullah looked on as the boy was given his daily bread. So this young boy was there, he was working on the land, and he was given his bread. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, he was given his daily bread. And suddenly a dog trespassed inside the grove and stood menacingly near the boy. So he's, you know, the, the, it's interesting that she goes here, she goes there, she goes to Abdullah, then Abdullah goes, he's walking. He noticed, you know, there's this boy. He's doing his work. Then this dog comes. He gets his bread. The dog looks menacingly at him. He's observing the whole scene. Then uh, the boy threw the dog the loaf of bread. And then he threw him a second loaf and a third loaf. And Abdullah asked the young boy, he said, what is your daily wage? And he said, my wage is in these loaves you see here before me. You know, these loaves that I just threw to the dog, that's my daily wage. What you just saw. He said, if that is so, why do you prefer this dog over yourself? Why do you prefer the dog over yourself? The boy replied, O master, this is not a land populated by dogs. This dog comes hungry from a distant land, and I am loath to refuse him. Abdullah asked, what do you do? The boy replied, I stack bricks all day long. Abdullah said, I am called generous in giving, but this boy is more giving and generous than I am. Abdullah then asked about the owner of the grove and the boy and he purchased both of them and he freed the boy and he gave him the grove. He, gave, he bought the garden and the, and, the, and the boy and then he freed the boy and he gave the garden to the boy. So this is uh, the way, the, this is the first story. It's also reported that three men were debating in the courtyard of the Kaaba as to who was the noblest and most generous person. So this is... <laughs> this is a, a useful debate, I guess. <laughs> More useful than some of the debates we have, but uh, an interesting one nonetheless. The first man said the noblest and generous is Abdullah bin Jafir, the same person, Abdullah bin Jafir. The second man said the noblest and most generous person is Qais ibn Sa'd ibn Ubadah. And the third person said the noblest and most generous person is Araba al Ausi. They went back and forth between themselves debating who was the most generous until one of them said, let us go to them and pretend to be beggars. And let each of us ask the one whom he, de- he, whom he deems most generous, that we may see which of them gives and judge them individually. The man who preferred Abdullah bin Jafar walked over to him as he was inserting his foot in his camel's stirrup to ride off. The man called, O cousin of Allah's emissary, 
Speak, said Abdullah Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to Allah's emissary Radiallahu The man said, I am a passerby who has fallen into difficulty Abdullah removed his foot from the camel's stirrup and said Here, take this camel and the contents of its load But don't take the sword, for the sword is the sword of Ali So he gave him the whole thing But he said, don't take the sword, I need the sword <laughs> And the sword is, has particular specialness to it The man who preferred Qais ibn Sa'd ibn Ubadah Approached him but found him asleep Qais's servant said He is asleep, what do you need? The man said, I am a stranger and passerby A long way from home And I have fallen upon hard times The servant said, fulfilling your needs Is easier than wakening him It's easier for me to just do what you need Than it is to wake him up So take this bag, it contains 700 dinars And go to the resting area of the camels And convey a message to the person there he will give you a camel and a slave, and you can be on your way. Finally, when Qais woke up, his slave told him what he had done, and Qais set him free. He said, go. The man who preferred Arab al-Ausi approached him as the latter was leaving his home on the way to offer his prayer, leaning between two servants and lowering his gaze. The man called out, O Araba, speak, said Araba. The man said, I am a passerby, a stranger who is stranded alone and in need. So they go to all three. Suddenly, Araba dismissed the two slaves and clapped his hands, saying, Ah, oh, the rights of others have not left with, left with Araba any wealth. However, you may take these two slaves if you wish. The man said, I shall not clip your wings. In any case, Araba replied, If you refuse to take them, they are considered free. So if you like, you may take them. If you don't, they're going to be set free. And the man decided to leave them, so they were set free. The third man then made his way to the courtyard of the Kaaba, and he and his companions all concurred. That Araba was the most generous of the three Because he gave despite his lack of means Whereas the former two gave only their excess of wealth So this is the second story The third story of generosity Is reported that a man stood in front of Abdullah ibn Abbas And said, Ibn Abbas, I have a right over you and I need it fulfilled Ibn Abbas asked, what is your right over me? The man replied, I once saw you standing at the well of Zemzem at your ser- as your servant collected water from it for you and you were suffering from the extreme heat of the sun and took shade under one of my coverings as you drank. So look what he's saying is right over him is. Saying you were there in that area, you took some drink and I had a covering and you stood in the shade of my covering. This is his right that he has over him. You are right, Ibn Abbas said. I remember that day and it continues to trouble my conscience. I remember when I did that, and it's still bothering me. Ibn Abbas then asked his servant, What do you have with you now? The boy replied, I have 10,000 dirhams and 100 dinars. Ibn Abbas said, Give them to this man, but I do not think they can compensate this man for his right. By Allah, the man proclaimed, Had Ismail no son but you, it would have been sufficient to establish his honor and virtue. So what can be said when his progeny includes the master of the first and the last, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May he intercede for you and your father. Abdullah ibn Abbas was the first person to set out table spreads of food beside the roads. It's another piece of information about him. Apparently he used to set out table spreads of food on the side of the roads. Just to serve people and feed people who are hungry. So this was all to say the generosity that the Prophet ﷺ was. Can bahri fi karami. Can bahri fi karamin. That he was like the ocean and the sea and his generosity. 
and that generosity is one of the great qualities of Islam. Uh, and sometimes things get complicated, but generosity is still a good thing. There's another story that's often told, which is about the Ansar. That one of them, they were in a battle, in the Battle of Yarmouk. And someone came to bring some water to his uh, relative who was injured in the battle. And when he came to give it to him, then he went to go drink it and he heard someone else calling out for water. So he told him, no, give it to him before me. They went to the second person and they went to give him the water. And he said, he heard third person calling out for in need of the water. So he said, no, go to him before I take it. So they went to the third one before they could get to the third one to give him water. The third one passed away. And by the time they went back to the second one, the second one had passed away. And by the time they got back to the first one, the first one had passed away. All of them had passed away. But they were even in that dire situation. They they preferred their brother over themselves. Allah help us. The next line of the poem kind of shifts a little bit. But it's also very beautiful. And we're still in the praise of the Prophet sallam. And the next line says, Which means so majestic was his presence that even when alone he appeared surrounded by a large army and retinue. So the idea here is that the Prophet was a very impressive person. And this is not, there's a difference between being impressed with someone because you're afraid of them and being impressed of someone because they just have uh, an essence and a way of carrying themselves and Allah has gifted them with a particular uh, nobility that they just, they're impressive. You look at them and you feel struck by the way that this person is. And the Prophet ﷺ certainly was such. So it says, so majestic was his presence that even when he was alone, it appeared as if he was surrounded by a large army or by a group of people. So the Prophet had ﷺ what they call in Arabic, Hayba. He had Hayba. I don't know what it's called in English other than to say that he was majestic or that he had this honorable presence. But there's a concept of righteous people having haiba, that they have something about them that's very impressive. And you see this sometimes with people. Some people were given it, like Malcolm, rahimahullah, Malcolm X was given haiba. He's just powerful presence. And we've probably mentioned before, but uh, for the sake of repetition of that which is important, uh, Malcolm uh, obviously being African American was from a group of people whose histories and lineages and cultures were completely destroyed under, under American slavery. And uh, Dr. Omar Farooq Abdullah talks about how he knows uh, an older woman in West Africa who can read faces. And when she looks at the face of the person, she can tell which tribe this person is from. So she can say they're from 
they might be Mandinka or they might be Fulani or they might be Wolof or they might be whatever it might be. So he said he took a picture of Malcolm to this lady and showed her the picture and asked like, where is this person from? So many centuries have passed. And she looked at the picture and she said he's Fulani. And Allahu Alam, but it's very interesting that this kind of knowledge exists up to today. Fulani. It's a it's a tribe or ethnicity and yeah. Northern part of Nigeria. Yeah. They have the houses. The houses. Yeah. Where are you from? Nigeria. Nigeria. I'm from West part of Nigeria. West part of Nigeria. Lagos, I mean Yoruba. Lagos. Yeah. Yoruba. So we Yoruba. have the Yoruba, the Aousas. See, the Aousas, they just generally call them Aousa, but the Fulani, there are other tribes, you know. But the Fulani, when you call a Fulani man an Aousa man, he will tell you it's not Aousa, it's Fulani. Hmm. Yeah, so. People have their history, <laughs> right? Interesting. So some people have this, you know. And the Prophet ﷺ certainly had this. And uh, it's a gift from Allah. You know, some people just, they're like that. And some of the scholars also were like this. You know, they say that Imam Malik was like that. That he had a very strong presence. And, uh, you know, people respected him. Uh, in the just just by him being in the space, they would respect him. Uh, but the Prophet ﷺ was like this, although he didn't have protection. So he says in the commentary, for example, that normally a person would only be feared or, or respected in this way if they have force or authority or an aura of unapproachability. But the Prophet ﷺ didn't have any of these. He didn't walk around like a tough guy. He didn't walk around like with a huge group of people with him. Uh, he didn't, um, he, he wouldn't, for example, uh, he was completely approachable. You know, people could come up to him at any time. It was totally normal. And he would visit the sick. He would follow funeral processions. He was very much a part of everyday life. And he would sit with those who were considered to be weak or poor amongst his companions. It wasn't like he's the Prophet and them, so he can't sit with these people. It wasn't like that at all. You know, Ammar, Suhaib, Bilal, Khabab. All of them, he would sit with them. He wouldn't leave their presence until they got up to leave. You know, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And it says he would say to them, your life is our life and your death is our death. To these weaker of, even the, the quote-unquote weaker of the companions, he would say this to them. He would never interrupt a person in mid-sentence. Uh, people who were enslaved, men and women, could meet him in the street and speak to him about their issues and he would walk with them and stand with them and address them as if, you know, Completely equal uh, And at the same time yet Still with all of that The hearts of the believers were filled with awe of him You know Even though he carries himself with absolute humility The hearts of the believers are still filled with awe So This is an example also of the hadith Of the Prophet them That he lived Which is That whoever humbles themselves for Allah Allah will elevate them Allah will raise their rank. So, 
they were like that. They say that when they would sit with the Prophet ﷺ, they would sit so still, it was as if you thought the birds were perched on their heads. And they would sit so still, it was like you think a bird is on their head, they don't want to move, right? It says they would avoid laughter in his gatherings, they would smile instead, they wouldn't raise their voices, and so on, out of respect for him. And sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the author, he says, this is also from the etiquettes that we should keep when we're in the roda, When we're in the area of the Prophet Sallallahu masjid that's right next to his grave, we should also maintain these etiquettes. Uh, it's not always easy, especially from my understanding for women. But the roda is tough to get into in the first place. And once you get into it, people are pushing you and they're shoving and they're doing all these kind of things. And still you have to try to maintain the way that you behave in the presence of the Prophet because his grave is right there. It's reported that one time Abu Ja'far al-Mansur, it's speaking of Imam Malik, it's reported that one time Abu Ja'far al-Mansur, uh, he came and he debated a legal issue with Imam Malik in the masjid of the Prophet And he started to raise his voice above Malik's. And Imam Malik told him, Amir al-Mu'mineen, because he was the Khalifa at that time. He told him, Amir al-Mu'mineen, don't raise your voice in this masjid. Because Allah said, and do not raise your voices above the voice of the Prophet wasallam. And he praised others when he said, those who lower their voices in the presence of the Messenger of Allah, they are the one whose hearts Allah has tested for righteousness. In Surah Al-Hujrat, the 49th chapter of the Qur'an. So he said, okay, and he controlled himself. But Imam Malik was able to check the leader in this way. You have to lower your voice here. It's not how we talk in this place. He says also that every mosque actually shares in a little bit of the sanctity of the masjid of the Prophet The part of the etiquette of the masjid is that we don't raise our voice, that we don't start yelling, or we don't do these kind of things. Uh, we shouldn't buy or sell in the masjid. Lost items are not supposed to be announced in the masjid. Uh, so all of these things are in the books of fiqh. The next line of the poem, it says, كَأَنَّمَا لُؤْلُؤُ الْمَكْنُونُ فِي صَدَفٍ مِنْ مَعْدِنَيْ مَنْتِقٍ مِنْهُ وَمُبْتَسِمِ Which means, It is as if precious hidden pearls sparkling from their shells came from the treasure mine of his speech and smile. So now what it's saying is the imagery of pearls that are in their shells. It's, it's an important added piece. Pearls are in their shells. And when he speaks or he smiles, it's as if those pearls are coming out. Now, why did he say in their shells? He said because if the pearl is still in its shell, it's actually in the most protected and beautiful form that it can be in. Once it comes out of the shell, now it's exposed, it can actually face some sort of deficiency. So the most beautiful type of the pearl is the pearl that's in its shell. So it's like the Prophet ﷺ when he would speak or he would smile, it's as if the pearls were coming out. It's as if jewels were coming out. It's interesting how some of these, I, I find it so fascinating how certain analogies and metaphors and proverbs and things carry across cultures. Right? They just carry. I mean, even it's, there's something about them that's universal. So if someone is, 
If someone is saying something very beautiful, even in slang up to today in America, what do you say? They're saying something that's just something that's heavy, something that's beautiful, something that's amazing. You would say that they are? Anyone? What comes to mind? They're dropping pearls. They're dropping gems. <laughs> like you would say. It's the same analogy, actually. It's interesting. It's the same metaphor. They're dropping gems. Like it's... We're saying they, they would liken the Prophet them speech to pearls coming out of the mouth. Like that's the imagery of the beauty of it. Uh, so as if you were sitting with him you would find his speech the sweetest and his expressions the most eloquent. You know, He would produce jewel-laden words of wisdom and would extract rare pearls of beauty. So the Prophet Sallallahu speech was this way. And we talked about this a little bit in the beginning uh, about how the Qur'an as the word of Allah and the, the Prophet ﷺ as the Messenger of Allah and the Deen of Islam very much revolving around these words uh, related to both of them and of course also the practice of the Prophet ﷺ and how he spoke led to an appreciation of language across the board in Muslim cultures. Muslim majority cultures throughout history there's an appreciation of language and you always find poetry you know, so that's why it came up here because we were talking about the poem of the Burda and how there is this appreciation for language and its beauty. And having an appreciation for language is actually probably one of the most important foundations for any educational endeavor. You know, this is what actually one of the, the tragedies of the modern world is the destruction of language. I mean, if you, if you pick up, just go on Google Books and find English books in the public domain. So English books that are from the 20s or the 30s and before. And look at the way they wrote. It's so rich. The language is so rich. It's so strong. What you get out of one page is way more than what you get out of five, six pages now. And that has a major consequence on the mind, how language is used, how language is, how words are brought together, how ideas are structured, has a major influence on the mind. And one of the things that you find in Muslim universities now, Islamic universities, in general is this weakness of the Arabic language. And there's a, a lady in academia, she did, a, she did a research on this. And she went around to see what is being studied in legal theory at the different major Islamic universities. So she went through North Africa, she went to Egypt, she went to these different places and she wanted to see at the collegiate level what texts do they study in usul fiqh in particular, in legal theory. Because this is really one of the mother sciences of Islamic thought. How do you, what's the level of study on legal theory? Because legal theory in, in Muslim history has been like, this is the subject that brings together the reason and revelation and teaches us how to balance between reason and revelation and how to interpret text in context. So it's usually very sophisticated and especially the old books are very difficult to read. So she wanted to go around and see what's being studied in different places. 
And she found that most of the Islamic universities at the undergraduate level are now studying modern textbooks in usul fiqh, which is actually a disaster. So what they're studying is these modern works that are written by people in the last 50 years, the last 60 years. And they very rarely go to the classical text. She went through the Arab lands. In the South, uh, South, Asian, South Asian model, they still study the classical text. But in the Arab lands, this is what she found in the universities. Not necessarily outside of the universities, but in the universities. And when she went and she asked some of the professors why that's the case, and like why don't they use more difficult, older text, and so on, the professors told her, that the students, they can't understand these texts because their Arabic is too weak. Right. Their Arabic is too weak, they can't understand these texts. And that was one of the... What's so sad about that is that those schools, especially Al-Azhar and Zaytuna, were, when it comes to Arabic, were very strong. I mean, you're only talking about 50 to 60 years ago, they were very strong. I mean, you, you, up to today still, Azhar tends to be a little bit stronger than some of the other places in Arabic. The requirement for Arabic, the text that they study in the high school, is still a, a good level text. Uh, whereas in some of the other universities, they might not get that high, even in the university. But the point is that when the language is weak, everything else is weak. Everything else is weak. This applies to every language. Uh, so language skills are extremely important And it's not only about being able to speak and write and stuff like that But it's also about what that means for the mind You know, when we Also part of traditional Islamic studies is that you study logic When you go and you study logic You find that most of logic is actually embedded in grammar So this training you have in grammar Ends up facilitating what you do in logic Because it's all interrelated so the Prophet ﷺ had the most beautiful of speech. And the Muslims were always people who had beautiful speech. And we should continue to try to do this up to today. And that doesn't mean that you have to write the most amazing poetry or whatever it might be. But at least we should try to have an appreciation. We should try to remove fillers as much as we can from our speech. To say like, to say um, to say all types of fillers. You know, I'm thinking about it right now as I'm talking, and I just did it at the beginning of that sentence. I slipped in a little, you know. <laughs> so, you know is also a filler. Uh, right is a filler. I was just about to use it again. All of these are pr actually problematic. And if the language is going to be strong, you have to take them out. Yeah, You were going to say something? No, I say you know, you see. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's there, it's just... Internet, yeah, internet, internet, yeah, internet, yeah. So these things are things that we can work on with each other. And we can try to speak with each other well. We should try to, I, I personally think we should try to read older books. Older books are good for you. There's a really nice book called How to Study by, I forget his first name, but his last name was Swain, S-W-A-I-N. And it's in the public domain, you can find it. It's a beautiful book. You read it and it tells you how to study and how to think about material as you study. It's beautiful. It's really, he says that he was teaching college and he found that the students didn't have the basics that they needed to have in terms of how they think about studying. 
So he wrote this text for the college students in his time. It's in the, from the 20s, I think it was. So having an appreciation for these things is important. That's the point. And the Prophet ﷺ used to have the most beautiful speech. In one hadith, Abu Hurairah he reported, I never saw anyone more beautiful than the emissary of Allah. It was as if, he sh- it was as if the sun shone upon his face, and when he laughed, his light would shine upon the walls. It's also narrated when he spoke, it appeared as though light was emanating from between his teeth. And in another hadith, his laughter was mostly smiles, revealing something akin to hailstones. So, not only was the speech beautiful, but actually there was an illumination to his entire presence that would impact people. The last line in this section is... لَا طِيبَ يَعْدِلُ تُرْبًا ضَمَّ أَعْظُمُهُ طُوبَ لِمُنْتَشِقٍ مِنْهُ وَمُنْتَثِمِ No perfume can match the ground that holds his bones. Blessed are those who breathe in its fragrance or kiss it. So the ending of the praise of the Prophet ﷺ is to praise the space that he's buried in. And... In general, Mecca is the most honorable place on earth and Medina is the second most honorable place on earth and and Quds, Jerusalem is the third, the three major masajid. But one place, as I think we talked about before, is even higher than Mecca, which is the place of, the burial place of the Prophet ﷺ himself. That his actual spot of his grave is even a greater space than the space of Mecca. In Medina? In Medina. Not the entire city, but his, the grave itself. Nonetheless, it's saying that no perfume can match the ground that holds his bones. And one of the things that's discussed here is the idea of the fragrance that Allah gives to noble people and righteous people after their death. And of course, particularly to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And uh, one of the stories that comes to mind with this was someone that I had heard about. I'll leave it like that in Palestine. And they had a relative. They have relatives in Palestine, and they were visiting there. And it so happened that one of their relatives, shortly before that, had been killed. In a, in a missile attack or something like this and after they were killed in the missile attack and the body was brought to the family and the family took the clothes that the person was wearing and they changed it of course and they kept the clothes and the person who was visiting some time had passed and they told them this is the shirt that so and so was killed in Take it and smell it Like I've washed it I've tried everything Take it and smell it And when the shirt was brought to them It smelled They said Of the most beautiful fragrance They've ever smelled in their life I just want to add the, They hadn't washed it Okay The blood was silk stained in it The blood itself smelled like The most beautiful fragrance The blood itself Yeah Okay Anything else to correct on it? It wasn't their direct relative It was their direct relative's best friend their direct relative's best friend. Yeah, it was the, the, their cousin's best friend was the one who died. And the shirt wasn't washed. And the shirt wasn't washed. Yeah. 
But the, the fragrance is correct. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> as long as that part didn't change. Alhamdulillah. Um, so yeah, this is real. You know, this is not... I should, how do I say, we heard this story from the mouth of the person who experienced it. And we trust them. It's not... It's not something that has 20 people between us and them and we don't know if it actually happened or not. I mean, we actually know these people. You know, excuse me. You know, we have uh, situations like that in Nigeria. I've never seen names, but they said, you know, when somebody was buried and now maybe the government, they want to use that area mm -hmm. and now they have to assume the body. Mm -hmm. And now when they bring this body up, it, they said it was still white, nothing happened for over 30 years. Mm -hmm. It's still the same, mm -hmm. you know. So I, I didn't say it, but that was, and it was in the papers. They mm -hmm. even put the picture in the papers. So mm -hmm. I don't know how that happened. Yeah, so. it's related to it. They say that the bodies of the awliya, the righteous people, that they don't decompose and that they will maintain this fragrance and this scent and that the greatest example of that is the Prophet them. that the body remains to have this scent he says in here uh, where is it many people have established probity just people who have performed hajj and come into physical contact with the blessed grave have reported that they smelled Super normally fine sense there. So in his time, probably you could still get to the grave. Although he's relatively recent. Ibn Ajib was, I think, 200 years ago or something. Uh, yeah, 200 years ago. He passed away 200 years ago. But people used to be able to get to the grave, apparently. And for the Prophet, them, even in his own life, he used to emit this beautiful fragrance. Uh, which I think has come up before But he used to emit this fragrance They said that even If he put his hand on someone's head Their 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 head would You know like a child Put his hand on the head of a child Then their head would have this scent on it For the rest of the day uh, Jabir radiallahu an Says that he was riding with the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam One time on his animal And he put his face near The back of the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam And it smelled like musk you know, that, that was just the smell that he gave off as well of his, as his hands uh, and, and others. And then the author says that it's, it's possible also that this is not, not only literal but also metaphorical. So literally you say that no perfume can match the ground that holds his bones. You can say that literally, but you can say that Metaphorically as well And he quotes a poet who said It is not the aroma of musk that you find It is the fine praise that is left behind So the idea is that One way to look at it is literal One way to look at it is metaphorical Which means that the, the, the Prophet them, What he left behind Is so fragrant and so beautiful And so Incredible that anyone who even comes near it or gets a glimpse of it in its true reality is completely enveloped by its beauty. 
right? So his message would be that way and his presence and so on and so forth. Son alone, who I am, will send Who, Auntie, can I borrow your book? I vote that we read just what we've covered thus far with the translation once through so we can get a feel for the whole thing. And that will be a good conclusion, inshallah, for, for what we've covered. Thank you. Inshallah. Mm-hmm. Yep. The next line in the poem is on the birth of the Prophet wasallam. So after this point, now is when the actual story begins. We've covered 58 lines. Alhamdulillah. It's not bad. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Aminta dhakuri jiranin bidi salami mazajta dam'an jara min muqlatin bidami. Is it from remembering past neighbors at Lu Salam that you mingle with blood tears shed from your eyes? Am habbatun rihu min tinqa'i kazimatin or has the wind blown from before Kalima and the lightning flashed in Edom's dark? What ails your eyes that when you bid them cease they weep still more? What ails your heart that when you bid it wake it wanders? Reckons the lovelorn man that his love may be concealed when a torrent in one part of him and in the other a conflagration. But for passion, you would not have wept at an abandoned camp, nor lied awake at night recalling the willow and the mount. فَكَيْفَ تُنْكِرُ حُبًّا بَعْدَمَا شَهِرَتْ بِهِ عَلَيْكَ عَدُولُ الدَّمْعِ وَالسَّقَمِ So how can you deny your love when witnesses of tears and sickness have testified to it against you? وَأَثْبَتَ الْوَجْدُ خَطِّي عَبْرَةٍ وَضَنَى مِثْلَ الْبَهَارِ عَلَى خَدَّيْكَ وَالْعَنَمِ Lovesick passion has written upon your cheeks two tear lines like yellow spice and red anam fruit. نعم سارة طيف من أهوى فأرقني والحب يعترض لذات بالألم Yes, my loved one's spirit haunted me and denied me my sleep for love ever obstructs pleasures with pain يا لائمي في الهوى العذري معذرة مني إليك ولو أنصفت لم تلمي you who blame me for this chaste love, I seek your pardon. Yet had you judged fairly, you would not have blamed me at all. May you be spared my state, I cannot hide my secret from my detractors. My sickness will not leave me. You offer me sincere advice, but I hear it not. A lover is deaf to all of his reproachers. 
نصيح الشيب في عذني والشيب أبعد في نصح عن التهم I suspect the counsel even of my own gray hairs although their advice is far indeed from deception so this was the section on love and then the section on the nafs starts afterwards on the self فَإِنَّ أَمَّارَتِي بِالسُّوءِ مَتَّعَضَتْ مِنْ جَهْلِهَا بِنَذِيرِ الشَّيْبِ وَالْهَرَمِ Thanks to its foolishness, my ill-urging ego has paid no heed to the warner, white hair and decrepitude. وَلَا أَعَدَّتْ مِنَ الْفِعْلِ الْجَمِيلِ قِرَى ضَيْفٍ أَلَمَّ بِرَأْسِ غَيْرَ مُحْتَشِمِ Neither has it prepared fair deeds and hospitable welcome for a guest who has taken up residence on my head. لو كنت أعلم أني ما أوقره كتمت سرا بدأ لي منه بالكتمي. Had I understood, I would not have honored it. I would have used ketam dye to hide what it disclosed. مني برد جماح من غوايتها كما يرد جماح خير باللجمي. لجمي. Who will help me curb a bolting rebel's willfulness, willfulness in the way that a rebel stallion may be curbed with reins? فلا ترم بالمعاسي كسر شهوتها إن الطعام يقوي شهوة النهمي. Think not to break unlawful whims by satisfying them. Food only increases a glutton's desire. والنفس كالطفل أنته منه شبعنا حب الرضاع وإن تفتمه ينفطمي. The ego is like a child. Neglect it and it will grow still suckling. Only if you wean it will it be weaned. وَرَاعِهَا وَهِيَ فِي الْأَعْمَالِ سَائِمَةٌ وَإِنْ هِيَ اسْتَحَلَّتْ الْمَرْعَى وَإِنْ هِيَ اسْتَحَلَّتْ الْمَرْعَى فَلَا تُسِمِي Guard it as it grazes in the pastures of deeds and should it find the grazing sweet, let it not roam. فَصْرِفْ هَوَاهَا وَحَاذِرْ أَنْ تُوَلِّيَهُ إِنَّ الْهَوَا مَا تَوَلَّى يُسْمِي أَوْ يَصِمِي Frustrate its whim, be wary of giving it power for whims pollute or pervert whatever they control. I'm just going to read the English since I don't think anyone understands the Arabic anyways. Inshallah. Many a delight. Huh? You enjoy it? I'm fine to read it, I just don't want to make you all bored. It's the closing. It's the closing. We'll, we'll, we can close, inshallah, with it. كم حسنت لذة للمرء قاتلة من حيث لم يدري أن السم في الدسم Many a delight has it proved which proves murderous. Has it approved which proves murderous? For some do not know that the fat contains a poison. وَخْشَدْ دَسَائِسَ مِنْ جُوعٍ وَمِنْ شِبَعٍ فَرُبَّ مَخْمَصَةٍ شَرٌ مِنَ التُّخَمِ Fear the insidious snares of hunger and of satiety, for being hungry is sometimes worse than having gorged. وَاسْتَفْرِغِ الدَّمْعَ مِنْ عَيْنٍ قَدْ امْتَالَأَتْ مِنَ الْمَحَارِمِ وَالْزَمْ حِمْيَةَ النَّدِمِ Empty out the tears from an eye that has stuffed itself with forbidden sights. Hold hard to a diet of penitence. وَخَالِفِ النَّفْسَ وَالشَّيْطَانَ وَعْصِهِمَا وَإِنْهُمَا مَحَضَاكَ النُّصْحَفَ التَّهِمِ Disobey the ego and the devil. Dispute with them. Suspect them both, even when they offer you true counsel. وَلَا تُتِعْ مِنْهُمَا خَصْمًا وَلَا حَكَمًا فَأَنْتَ تَعْرِفُ كَيْدًا خَصْمِ وَنْحَكِمِ Of the two, obey neither as a plaintiff or an arbiter. Well you know the plaintiff's and the arbiter's ploy. 
استغفر الله من قول بلا عمل لقد نسبت به نسلا لذي عقمي I ask God's pardon for words not followed by deeds for by them did I attribute progeny to a sterile man Amartukan khayra lakin matamirtu bihi wa mastaqamtu fama qawli lakistaqimi I commend goodness to you while not conforming myself being crooked of what use is my command to be straight وَلَا تَزَوَّدْتُ قَبْلَ الْمَوْتِ نَافِلَةً وَلَمْ أُصَلِّ سِوَى فَرْدٍ وَلَمْ أَسُمِي No optional devotions have I accumulated ready for my demise, nor have I fasted nor prayed more than the minimum required. And that's section 2. Section 3 is on praising the Prophet ﷺ where we finished. Section 3 is the longest one. But I read it all in English And then I'll read it all in Arabic So that the people who want to zone out It's easier to zone out And they want to zone in It's easier to zone in Because if you want one or the other It's easier when they come together But the Arabic is beautiful So I'll go back and read it I've wronged the example of him Who revived the black nights Praying until his feet complained of painful swelling Over his belly and soft skin He placed a stone Tightening a belt over it To lessen the hunger pangs High mountains sought to tempt him by turning to gold, but he showed them lofty height upon height. His constraint through poverty only confirmed his detachment from them, and a need such as his shall not lead to transgression. How could poverty tempt him to worldliness, when but for him the world would not have been brought from the void? Muhammad is the master of both worlds, both kinds and both companies, Arabs and non-Arabs. Our Prophet who commands and forbids, there is none more faithful to his word, whether yes or no. He is the loved one whose intercession is hoped for, a victor against every terror and calamity. To God was his call, and those who hold fast to him hold fast to a rope that shall never break. In his form and in his qualities he excelled the other prophets. Their knowledge and nobility did not rival his own. Each of them seeks something of God's messenger. Handfuls from the sea or drops of the drizzle Before him do they stand, respecting their limits Dots to his knowledge or vowel signs to his wisdom He it is whose meaning and form reached perfection Then the maker of souls chose him as his beloved Too exalted is his beauty to have a rival In him is the undivided essence of all beauty Set aside the claim the Christians made for their prophet Then compose what praises of him you wish And do so well to his essence assign whatever you will of honor. To his stature assign what greatness you will. For the merit of God's messenger knows no bounds that might be voiced by the mouths of men. If his miracles stood in proportion to his greatness, the very mention of his name would revive dry bones. He did not try us with things that baffle the mind. Such was his concern for us. So we neither doubted nor strayed. Understanding his meaning exhausts the human mind. Near and far, all were seen to be dumbstruck. He is like the sun. To the eye, at a distance, it seems small. But when near, it dazzles the sight. How can his reality be grasped in this world by people who are asleep, distracted from him by dreams? The most we know of him is that he is mortal man, and that he is the best of all God's creation. Every miracle which the noble messengers brought was theirs by virtue of his light alone. 
for he is the sun of virtue, and they are its planets. Amid the shadows, they display its rays to humanity. How noble the qualities of a prophet adorned by such traits. How full is his beauty, how gifted with smiling joy. As a flower in delicacy, as the full moon in honor, like the sea in bounty, as persistent as time itself. Such is his splendor, that even alone in his glory superb couriers, couriers and guards seem to stand around him. From the rich mine of his speech and his smile, hidden pearls seem to sparkle from their shell. No perfume can rival the earth that holds his bones. Blessed are they that breathe its fragrance or kiss it. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam taslima kathira. Now in Arabic, inshallah. ظلمتُ سنة من أحيا الظلام إلى أن اشتكت قدماه الدر من ورمي وشد من سغب أحشاءه وطوى تحت حجارة كشح مطرف الأدم وراودته الجبال الشم من ذهب عن نفسه فأراها أيما شممي وأكدت زهده فيها ضرورته إن الضرورة لا تعدو عن العصم وكيف تدعو إلى الدنيا ضرورة من؟ لولاه لم تخرج الدنيا من العدم محمد سيل كونين والثقلين والفريقين من عرب ومن عجم نبينا الآمر الناهي فلا أحد أبر في قول لا منه ولا نعم هو الحبيب الذي ترجى شفاعته لكل هول من الأهوال مقتحم دعا إلى الله في المستمسكون به مستمسكون بحبل غير منفصم فاق النبيين في خلق وفي خلق ولم يدانوه في علم ولا كرم وكلهم من رسول الله ملتمس غرفا من البحر أو رشفا من الديم وواقفون لديه عند حدهم من نقطة علم أو من شكلة حكم فهو الذي تم معناه وصورته ثم اصطفاه حبيبا بارئ النسم منزه عن شريك في محاسنه فجوهر الحسن فيه غير منقسم دع مدعته النصارى في نبيهم واحكم بما شئت مدحا فيه واحتكم وانسب إلى ذاته ما شئت من شرف وانسب إلى قدره ما شئت من عظم فإن فضل رسول الله ليس له حد فيعرب عنه ناتق بفم لون لون لو ناسبت قدره آيته عظما أحيا اسمه حين يدعى دارس الرمم لم, لم يمتحن بما تعي العقول به حرصا علينا فلم نرتب ولم نهم أعيا الورى, الورى فهم معناه فليس يرى في القرب والبعد فيه غير منفحم كالشمس تظهر للعينين من بعد صغيرة وتكل الطرف من أمامي وكيف يدرك في الدنيا حقيقته قوم نيام تسلوا عنه بالحلم فمبلغ العلم فيه أنه بشر وأنه خير خنق الله كلهم وكل آي أتى الرسل انكرام بها فإنما اتصلت من نوره بهم فإنه شمس فضل وهم كواكبها يظهرن نوار نوارها للناس في الظلم 
أكرم بخنق نبي زانه خلق بالحسن مشتمل بالبشر متسم كالزهر في ترف والبدر في شرف والبحر في كرم والدهر في همم كأنه وهو فرد من جلالته في عسكر حين تنقاه وفي حشم كأنما اللؤلؤ المكنون في صدف من معدني منطق منه ومبتسم لا طيب يعدل تربا دم أعظمه طوبى لمنتشق منه ومنتثم اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آنه وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا O oh Allah, accept from us this effort, forgive us of our sins and our shortcomings, increase us in our love for your messenger, increase us in our love for those who have truly inherited the way of your messenger and all of those messengers before him. O oh Allah, help us to be sources of goodness and righteousness and generosity and kindness and love and mercy and justice in everything that we do in all of the situations that we face and all of the places that we may find ourselves. O oh Allah, we face all kinds of difficulties and all kinds of hardships and all kinds of troubles and our peoples are tried and troubled in so many different ways in so many different places and the people of the world are hurting in so many different ways in so many different places. O oh Allah, help us to come back to the way that you have pleased for us and the way that will bring goodness and righteousness and beauty to the world around us. Help us to be true inheritors of that way and those who call others to that way. Fill our hearts with your love and your remembrance and fill our acts with your obedience and your emula- and emulation of your messenger. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa zid wa barik ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam taslim in kathira wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alam.